DJ, PK, and Riley Nelson join us, BYU football radio analyst, former quarterback. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Good morning, DJ, PK. How y'all feeling today? Great, man. <laughs> Just absolutely fantastic. How could you not be? We were one of the 10,000 that stormed the field on Saturday, Riley. <laughs> Good. I'm assuming neither of you suffer from claustrophobia. No. I've of a couple of games where, where that happens. And that, uh, it's exciting at first, and then the stress sets in. You're like, am I ever going to get out of this sweaty pile of human bodies? You know, we were all thinking, even you, you know, they can get out of here with two and two. They got a shot at eight wins. Well, man, here they are already. Let's go for three and one. Yeah, no question. I think, and I think they got a shot. I mean, I was, as I was watching some Washington film, especially the Cal game, from Cal's got an excellent defense. I was thinking back on, on this defense for BYU and, it's one that, yeah, Utah got 30, but 20 of those points were gifted to them by the offense, uh, by BYU's offense. And then they held Tennessee, you know, to the teams in regulation. And a USC team that was high-flying and being touted for their offense. And by the way, I, I still think they have a good offense. I think BYU benefited from some fortunate timing, getting a getting a true freshman and only a second start. And the first time he was really facing any kind of complex zone looks. Um, but still, they held you know they held a USC a high flying USC defense or offense uh, to minimal points and and so whenever you got uh, anyway, I see a lot of similarities between the Cal defense, what Cal you know was able to do to Washington, and I think some opportunities if BYU comes out plays well and executes what they could do to Washington, and then we know the offense has done enough. So with the defense limiting them. We know the offense has done enough to stay in games and stay competitive, and they've been able to be clutch down the stretch. So anytime that's kind of your model for wins, you've got a shot. So I'm, I'm curious because it seems to me that there's a couple different issues here. Uh, USC obviously had an issue with turnovers. Now, for Washington, it seems like the issue isn't so much turnovers, but it does seem like the Washington offense – even though they switched quarterbacks, has a problem that they had a year ago settling for too many field goals. If they had finished drives with touchdowns against Colorado, you know, if, 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 I know. But I think they would have won the game pretty easily. They moved the ball, but they kicked four field goals. Do you think BYU can get Washington to bog down in the red zone? Because you can't blow teams out kicking field goals. That'll keep the game close, if nothing else. Yeah, I do think, I, and I felt this way, um, it's an interesting strategy. It's not. It's not very sexy, and it's not very like headline grabbing. But Coach Tuiaki's strategy since he's been at BYU has been one of of essentially like Ben, don't break. We're going to put in. We're going to go in, and we're going to play the best defense that gives uh, against our opponent that gives them the most fits, and uh, and that's going to require them to sustain drives and to be excellent in the red zone. And so, and those are two very as you look across the landscape of college football and you look within any game, uh, eight, ten play, twelve play drives that end in touchdowns are not very common, and that's kind of what BYU's defense is architected to force the, to force the opponent to do. So, with that being the case, and with Washington being one who struggles to capitalize on on opportunities in the red zone with touchdowns, uh, again, it's another similar to how I said it lined up pretty well for BYU that they were playing a freshman QB for USC who never really seen, you know, drop eight zone coverage. 
I think the same kind of matchup lines up here where you've got a BYU defense that's going to bend and not break and and probably is happy to give up a field goal as long as they can keep you out of the, out of the end zone. I want you to evaluate Grimes and A-Rod's play calling. It seems to me, and you would know more and better than I would, that their creativity at the right time has been really good. Oh, no question. Uh, you know, I'm going to cite a source and give some credit where credit credit's due. Uh, Ryan Rossillo podcast, he had Trent Dilfer on last Friday. Dilfer was talking about uh, different offensive philosophies throughout the NFL and they kind of got centered on the Patriots, for, I think, for obvious reasons. But what, one of the comments that he made is the Patriots, a lot of people try and establish an offensive identity, right? That's been an axiom for a long time in football. Or are we a power run team? Are we a air raid team? Do we spread it out? Are we an RPO? Are we a zone run team? Are all these things. And Dilfer made the comment that the Patriots, made their offensive identity one of execution. And that's why, because their identity and execution, that's what allows them from week to week to go from Brady throwing 404 touchdowns to lining up, and this was a couple years ago, but back when they had LeGarrette Blunt, lining up with a 240-pound tailback in the back and throwing two and three tight end sets out there and just road grading you. And I see, obviously I'm not comparing the BYU offense to the Patriots, but I see a similar philosophy kind of at play because that game plan against USC was one that was tailor-made, not necessarily to BYU's strength, but the play calling and the game plan going into the game was one that took advantage of places where USC had weaknesses. Case in point, in the red zone, on that, on that draw where Zach Wilson ran it in for a touchdown, uh, that they had got that look, they had seen that look on film in the red zone where USC kept two safeties high. They were basically playing two men under. So they line a, a running back up in the backfield. They motion him out to make sure that it's man coverage. And if and when they do motion the running back out of the backfield and go to empty, the middle linebacker vacated the box, leaving five offensive linemen against four defensive linemen and two safeties with their heels at 14 yards down the field. And so that's why the running man was tremendously wide open. Obviously, Zach Wilson uh, is a tremendous athlete and was good enough to navigate his way through the secondary and for a touchdown. But that was a call that was so timely and, and so perfect that, yeah, like you kind of set, started off this question with, you got to give a lot of credit to the Grimes and Roderick for their game plan coming in and their ability to use the right calls at the right time throughout the game. Everybody loves trick plays and big plays, but they come in a lot of different flavors. I thought some of the trick plays they chose to use weren't so much uh, tricky, bizarro, gimmicky, uh, but it was more using your weakness or your strength against you. You know your greatest strength is your weakness and all that. When they run on the opening touchdown drive, when Tyson uh, Tyson Williams uh, fakes the reverse, it's like it's still a solid play. You have your best running back carrying the ball. It's not gimmicky. But at the same time, using that motion with a really athletic defense, those guys just overreact, and the whole side of the field opens up for them. Uh, when you were when you were playing and running those plays, did you ever have that feeling about different stuff you practice? Like this is a little gimmicky, and this is rock solid. Yeah, well, one of the things Grimes has has shown to me over the years to be is a great self scouter. If you know, if you remember in the Tennessee overtime, one of the things that set up their game winning touchdown was. So they, it was overtime, so they were in the red zone, and they ran the end around to 11 EFO. Well, this time they give the same action, um, and that was because 
so the, the reason why that end around was timely is because they were starting to wear him down. Tyson was starting to rip off chunks, and they knew they were going to get over pursuit. So it was the perfect opportunity um, to give the end around to Heath against Tennessee. Well, now this, they, you know, USC's watched that. You know that they've scouted that. Okay, we got to watch for the end around when they get in the red zone. We got to watch for the end around out of this formation. And so Grimes comes out, gives the end around action. As Tyson just hauled out the ball there for everyone to see, it freezes everyone, and he's able to come around. So to me, that's that's not even really a gimmick or a trick play. That's the same as it's a play action, but rather than a play action pass, it's a play action run in that you're giving them a look that you've run previously. You hope that it reacts or freezes to them, and then you take advantage of their of their reaction to seeing to a look that they've prepared for. And I thought that another great thing that they that they. Um, debuted in this game against USC. Out of that trips formation, they ran a lot of mesh concepts. They pretty much only ran run plays, and that, and so they line up in that same mesh concept, and they started running quick toss, and they had some pretty good success with both Williams and Asupa out of the quick toss. So that Grimes and Roderick and the, and the entire staff, and give credit to the players for executing, but they're doing a great job in this, this term kind of got like a buzzword a couple years ago, but being multiple. I think that was one of those Gruden terms that got popular when he was on ESPN. But out of the same look, they're able to execute a bunch of different plays, and it's turning out really well for them. When you have a game like that, and it seemed to me that when everybody was pouring out on the field, it was not just in the moment. It was releasing frustration of all the things for BYU because they haven't been on top here after being on top for so long. So there's all this emotion spent, and I imagine this week on campus, people are patting them on the back and everything, and they're feeling good. How do you turn around just seven days later and play a team that I could very much argue is a lot better than the one you just beat and everybody said, celebrated like crazy yeah that's a that's a great question you really have to have um a short memory we use that term a lot for like quarterbacks and throwing picks and stuff you got yeah it's true. you have to have a short memory for the mistakes that you make but you also have to have a short memory from your successes because your successes they can uh you, you can kind of get drunk off your own successes and it takes a lot of maturity and it takes a lot of leadership i think uh with this with this team, with their core being so young, I think this is a great opportunity for them. It's like, okay, most people expected us to be like 1-3 and three or even 0-4. So we've beaten expectations. We, so are we just okay with, you know, barely kind of exceeding people's expectations or barely doing the unexpected? Or do we want to blow people's expectations out of the water? Do we really want to prove a lot of our doubters wrong and do what? Well, well very few people thought we were going to be 2-2. Two and two. There were some that did, but no one was saying we were going to come out of this first month three and one. So how motivated are we? How dedicated are we? How willing are we to put the successes behind to leave those in the past and treat this week like a brand new week, like we still have something to prove um, and, and go out and and do what is really unexpected. And so that that's still, well, like I said, this is an exciting opportunity for this team. I think we learned a, a lot about it last week. I think we'll learn even more about them this week. And, again, I think Washington is a very good and formidable opponent. Um, I, I, even if even if, if it's a close game and the ball maybe doesn't bounce BYU's way, that'll still prove to me the medal of this team that they're mature and they can handle the challenges from week to week. But if they come out and lay an egg, then we know, like, okay, they got you know high off their own success and, and uh, they still have quite a bit of maturing to do. 
What do you think Chris Peterson is thinking as he watches the film of BYU's last two wins? He's looking for weaknesses. He's looking for somewhere he can attack. What do you think he sees? What do you think he plans? Uh, offensively, I think he's looking at that three-man front and and thinking, we, look, we're not going to make the same mistakes as USC and continue to try and throw the ball over the middle against five and six underneath defenders and give them three picks. We are going to do what what USC failed to do. We're going to do what Tennessee did for most of the second half but gave up on. Tennessee was ripping off chunks, but they, but twice they got into big third downs late in the game and they decided to, well, one time, they, rather than running at the teeth where they were getting the chunks, they did a fly sweep that got, that got stifled. And the other time, they decided to throw on a third and four. And, of course, USC ended the game by uh, on a third and four when they probably would have been better off on the ball. I think Chris Peterson is one who's saying, Look, we're not going to get tempted by that same thing. It may be tough sled, and they're good. They've shown to be, they've shown to be solid with that three-man defensive front. But I'm sure we can, if we just keep pounding them with a the sledgehammer, we can break through it and, and do it. So that's what I think he's thinking offensively, and then defensively, I think he looked at these last two weeks and he's like, all right, BYU's faced heavy, heavy doses of, of man coverage, not only two weeks, but three weeks, because the entire second half against Utah was man coverage as well. And it's obvious that BYU has adjusted. They've gotten more and more productive offensively from each week, essentially against the same scheme. So I think he's coming in and saying, look, Zach Wilson's got plenty of, of reps against man coverage. We're going to mix it up on him. Nobody's really got any unique pressures. He hasn't seen much zone blitzing, um, which is something that Chris Peterson, at least from playing against him at his time in Boise, was incredibly good at. You were you were always leery of a tackle or an end dropping into a coverage unexpectedly. Sometimes even the opposite end from the short side coming all the way across um, to the wide side of the field to like pick up a, a crossing route or something like that. And so to get so that's kind of what I think he's going to do. Stick with the run on offense and on defense. Really mix up the look because BYU's gotten heavy, heavy straight up man looks, and I expect to see some more zone and some exotic blitzes. Riley, we appreciate a few minutes as always, and uh, enjoy the game. I guess it's probably been pretty fun for you the last couple weeks. Enjoy the game this week. Okay, and uh, stay safe out there if we storm the field again this week. Huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> PK's out there with a <laughs> helmet right, on.